Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan, here today to talk to you about time, or more specifically, the time component of Microsoft's pending proposed acquisition of Activision. When, folks have asked me time and time again, are we going to see an announcement from the Federal Trade Commission in the U.S.? When are we going to see an emoji-laden Twitter thread talking about what harms are being dismissed or not from that same agency? And the answer, as I have given to many of those people behind the scenes, behind closed doors and otherwise, is complicated. And I thought it was a useful thing to talk about in what is hopefully a fairly brief and concise video on the subject. Before we get into specifics, I do want to point out that this channel is supported by viewers and listeners like you through Utreon, through Patreon, and through those two different platforms. You can support a tier where you support a specific episode per month here at the channel. Special thanks this month to Falcus Vipus for supporting this effort. I'm very appreciative of Falcus Vipus, who's been a supporter of the channel for a very long time. If you are interested in that, check out Utreon and Patreon, and let's talk about some substance. So, Fortunately, the Federal Trade Commission has put together, this is a couple of years old, but it corresponds with the way the statute looks right now, a Hart Scott Rodino timeline. That's the HSR up in your top left corner. If you're looking at this specifically, this is a visual piece of evidence. Sorry about that, podcast listeners. But it goes to show exactly how this process works. So on day zero, the parties file their notification with the Federal Trade Commission, the Department of Justice in the United States, and that starts the waiting period. Now, we can skip this middle part. That's about cash tender offers and bankruptcy that have a little bit more urgency. So the FTC is required to act a little bit faster. Instead, we're going to look here and say on the day 30, the FTC either has to allow the deal to go through without penalty. That's the end of the waiting period. Or they must issue a quote unquote second request. Now, behind the scenes from leaks from everywhere on this particular acquisition and totally expected for the United States, we know that the Federal Trade Commission did in fact make this second request and ask for additional documentation. We're gonna go into the substance of this a little bit more, but in terms of the timers, that's when things get weird. If a second request is issued and you see in this picture, instead of a clear line to another date, this jagged line that indicates question mark, question mark, question mark, how long can that timing actually go? The answer is we don't know. As they say, the extended waiting period starts with its clock stopped. And when does that clock start up again? It's when there is, as the FTC puts it, substantial compliance by the parties. We are going to look at the legal language here. But suffice it to say, the FTC goes and puts a laundry list of documents that it wants to see in front of Microsoft, in front of Activision. And then this timer doesn't restart until the FTC is happy that Microsoft and Activision have answered their requests for additional documentation in this second request period. Once it does restart, you see another 30-day timer. At that point, the extended waiting period ends, but maybe not the liability for Microsoft and Activision. We'll get to that at the very end of the video. From there, they have about a year to consummate the deal. And if the second request process just meanders, 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 They only have 18 months to actually get this second request stuff done from their notification date, which is probably in February or March of this year. If no substantial compliance with second request, HSR notification expires. They have to restart the process. The window's open again. The entire thing starts. Now, that's a helpful visual, but it maybe doesn't tell the complete story. And part of that story is that you'll never see the Federal Trade Commission, 
to my knowledge, go out with a Twitter thread like we saw from their counterparts in the UK, the Competition and Markets Authority, the CMA. It's just not what they do, at least right now. If there were a lawsuit, we'll talk about that too, they might go out with a press release, but that's further down the line from here. And again, I'm talking about this because a lot of you have asked me when this is actually going to get done on the US side. You're hearing rumors, you're hearing reports. It has to be October. It has to be November. Those kinds of things. None of that is strictly true. And the reason why it's not strictly true really rests in the language of the statute itself and the way political bodies interact with the folks that they regulate. So let's take a look at how the FTC describes it. This is a document we've looked at before in virtual legality. We are in that second request period. We're going to skip the earlier stuff. It just confuses things for the purposes of this conversation. So we're in step three, waiting period expires. That's not what happened. Or the agency issues a second request. After a preliminary review, we issue a request for additional information. This extends the waiting period, which is what we saw in the visual, and prevents the companies from completing their deal until they have quote unquote, substantially comply. That's a quote from the statute. And we'll talk about who gets to make that decision as part of looking at the federal regulations here. A second request typically asks for business documents and data that will inform the agency about the company's products or services, market conditions where the company does business and the likely competitive effects of the merger. The agency may conduct interviews either informally or by sworn testimony affidavits of company personnel or others with knowledge about the industry. That's where you start to see like the Sony comments that we saw in Brazil and what were adopted by the CMA in the UK. This is all part of this long running process. It's already been going on for months. We've also heard leaks that Microsoft has apparently put to the FTC that they have substantially complied. And I have said in a number of cases in these videos and elsewhere on the internet that that isn't necessarily the end of the story. So now let's look at the statute itself. This is the statute under which the FTC operates. This is just a summary, what we were looking at. That doesn't have the force of law. This does. This was passed by Congress. This was put into effect, and this is what the FTC is doing. So say the Federal Trade Commission may, prior to the expiration of that first 30-day window, require the submission of additional information or documentary material relevant to the proposed acquisition. You can't just go and ask Phil Spencer what his top 100 video games are. That isn't relevant to the acquisition. Or is it? No, it's not from a person required to file notification with respect to such acquisition. So that's the two parties to the deal, Microsoft and Activision with a focus on Microsoft because they're the ones that are going to be gaining the market share. They're the acquirer in this particular deal. Importantly, this section talks about what happens if there's a disagreement. As part of this process, the assistant attorney general that's on the DOJ side or the Federal Trade Commission shall each designate a senior officer who does not have any direct responsibility for the review of any enforcement recommendation under this section to hear any petition filed by such person. So the way this statute works is this is what you're obligated to do. We're going to ask for more information and then we'll see the timer doesn't start running again until we get that substantial compliance. If there's a fight about this, the authority to govern that fight is given to the regulator. The Federal Trade Commission shall pick somebody within their organization that isn't responsible for looking at Microsoft Times Activision who will hear petitions to determine what? Whether the request made by the FTC is unreasonably cumulative, it's too big, there's too much volume, unduly burdensome, it's too hard to get, or duplicative, you already have that information. So that's the same kind of thing you would see as fighting about a subpoena, for instance, or whether the request for additional information or documentary material has been substantially complied with. So they'll check on the FTC, a petition that says this is too hard, they don't need this information, it doesn't relate to the transaction, all those kinds of things. Or 
they will also hear Microsoft saying, look, we're notifying you. We are certifying. We are substantially complied with your request for this information, or we're fighting about it in a different way. And we'll talk about that as well in a second. And this person at the FTC gets to look at it and say, no, you're not in substantial compliance. Go back and do it some more. We're not starting the timer yet. Now, I've said in a number of spaces that the FTC isn't the final arbiter of these things, and they're not. At that point, Microsoft could sue over this, could say, look, we're going to push this to a federal lawsuit and say, we are in substantial compliance. Your person internally is not treating this fairly. Here's what we did. Here's why we're in substantial compliance. Stop this all. But that's not the end of the story either. So that's the process here. The timer is a little bit further on. Um, the Federal Trade Commission or the Assistant Attorney General in its or his discretion may extend that 30-day waiting period for an additional period of not more than 30 days after the date on which the Federal Trade Commission receives from any person to whom a request is made all the information and documentary material required to be submitted pursuant to that request or if such request is not fully complied with the information and documentary material submitted and a statement of the reasons for such non-compliance. So the statute actually provides that you can start the timer with a substantially compliant delivery and a notice that says, here's why we are not complying with your request. And they've got codes of federal regulations about all of this. I've pulled up 803.3. This is 16 CFR 803.3. For those of you keeping track at home, that says whenever the person filing notification is unable to supply a complete response, that person shall provide for each item for which less than a complete response has been supplied a statement of reasons for non-compliance, including at least why they're unable, what information should have been submitted, who holds that information. And if you're claiming privilege, like attorney-client privilege, what privilege you're claiming, what the factual basis you have for that privilege. All of this, even though it's not set forth specifically in the statute here, is about fighting regarding whether or not you are substantially complying with a legitimate legal request for this information. Such additional period, that 30 days after substantial compliance plus non-compliance notification has been put forth, may be further extended, but only by the courts. In this case, the United States District Court upon an application where this particular section of the law says the United States District Court may order compliance, can say, okay, all of this is ridiculous. We are ordering you by power of the court to comply. They can extend the waiting period just to say, hey, okay, this is so much information that the FTC needs more than 30 days uh, to actually look at this. So the court can say under its equitable principles, principles of fairness, that we can force this to happen. Or they may grant such other equitable relief as they see fit, which is, you know, kind of the, the elephant in the tent here. Yes, you're limited to these things, but also anything else you might think is fair. So what we've got right now, looking back at this timeline, is a situation where these two parties can fight about this, where the Federal Trade Commission can put forth a request for documents. Microsoft can say, we're going to give you these documents, but not these. But we're in substantial compliance because you asked for a bunch of attorney-client privilege stuff. And so we think the timer should start. You should start the timer. And if the FTC agrees, great, the timer starts. If it doesn't, what happens? Right? Microsoft can threaten a federal lawsuit, but they don't want to. The FTC is acting behind closed doors on all this stuff. So that becomes an open question as to what occurs from there. If we look at how the FTC describes this situation... They say, typically, once both companies have substantially complied with the second request, the agency has an additional 30 days to review the materials and take action if necessary. In the case of a cash tender offer, it's different. The length of time for this phase of review may be extended by agreement between the parties and the government 
in an effort to resolve any remaining issues without litigation. And maybe this should have been highlighted in red because this is important. This is a process. This is a process between human beings, between giant multinational corporations and giant national regulatory agencies. You can get to a place where you say, we fundamentally disagree as to whether we substantially complied. And still, if you're Microsoft, want to keep things behind closed doors because a federal lawsuit is a big deal and it will be public and people will comment on it and your stock market price will reflect it. And then people will have some notion of what the FTC is intending to do. So at this level, the FTC and Microsoft are likely to look at a request and say, okay, let's talk about whether you've substantially complied. Let's have an email fight. Let's have an all hands conference call. Let's get on Microsoft Teams. God forbid we use Zoom, right, Microsoft? And let's talk this through and see whether or not we can get more information out of you. And that's a back and forth and back and forth and back and forth all throughout the summer. Now, we've heard leaked that Microsoft says they substantially complied. If the FTC doesn't agree, will Microsoft sue? Because that's when it would pop out into public. The other option is that Microsoft says, we are willing to threaten this, and the FTC is concerned enough about it that they go to federal court, and they ask that U.S. district court to say, look, they haven't substantially complied, Your Honor. Tell on them. Tell them to substantially comply with us. And that becomes a federal suit. Neither of these sides are likely terribly inclined to go to federal court over this issue, which means here in September of 2022, when we're looking at a deal that was signed up in January of 2022, you've got all sorts of people telling you it's got to be October, it's got to be November. We have no idea what it's got to be. It gets even more confusing from there, because if we say that the substantial compliance timer has run, the FTC still has the ability to find within that 30-day window that there is in fact a potential violation of the antitrust laws and say, Microsoft, you're in potential violation. We've got to agree to some kind of consent resolution on all of this, right? So here the FTC describes it as we can close the investigation and let the deal go forward, or we can enter into a negotiated consent agreement, which as part of that negotiation process would feature these extensions, right? And I will tell you in just a minute why they would have to feature those extensions, but all of this is happening without us seeing it. Or they could seek to stop the entire transaction by filing for a preliminary injunction in federal court. That's when the fireworks happen. That's when the stuff hits the fan. And that's when we would know exactly where the FTC is on this kind of stuff. The far more likely outcome from this entire process is that the Federal Trade Commission does, in fact, ask for a consent agreement of some kind, that those negotiations are kept behind closed doors, that any extension that is necessary happens between those two parties as part of that negotiation, and that we don't hear about it until not only the FTC part is done, but the EU, the UK, and any other jurisdiction that might otherwise be giving Microsoft trouble which is a very long lawyerly way of saying, no, we cannot be guaranteed of a response in October or November, even though Microsoft is certainly indicating that they are encouraging the FTC to go one way or the other and trying to encourage them to decide one way or another to sue them. And that might well be what the FTC decides to do if there were significant fights about what might be in a consent agreement. Now, I promised you I would explain to you why this all does happen this way, why Microsoft doesn't just close the deal, even if the FTC doesn't sue them. And that's because, as I've said in the United States, and this is critically important, and this is why I keep making this correction online and to journalists that report on this story, the United States regulators do not approve deals. They allow them. And in fact, the FTC this past fall has said, close deals at your own risk 
in all but a few words. Blog post, August 3rd, 2021. The law permits the antitrust agencies to determine that a merger is illegal even after the companies have merged and even if the merger was subject to pre-merger review. When the FTC does not challenge a transaction prior to its consummation, this does not constitute an approval or clearance of the deal and the agency maintains the right to challenge a deal regardless of whether it was initially investigated. For deals that we cannot fully investigate within the requisite timelines, we have begun to send standard form letters alerting companies that the FTC's investigation remains open and reminding companies that the agency may subsequently determine that the deal was unlawful. Now, you don't need a letter for that from the FTC. You just need to know it exists. So when you're running Microsoft and you're in these conversations with the FTC and you're looking at these timers and saying, I've given you everything I can, If the FTC, through their internal person, says, no, you haven't, we need this, we need that, then you might be posed with the question of, do you close over them? Because not only does the FTC reserve the right to say you're you're within the timer, so you could get penalized for that, but even if you're outside the timer and you win that particular portion of your court case, that would come in all likelihood later on, the FTC could still win just because this timer is just a review process. It's not an approval process, which means they could come after you like Facebook and Within or Facebook and WhatsApp or Facebook and Instagram. They really don't like Facebook as of late. And then you've got $70 billion on the line fighting with something that is probably a half done merger. And then where do you go from there? So in the United States, don't expect these Twitter threads. Look at these timers as essentially advisory because both Microsoft and the Federal Trade Commission, if they are having any kind of combat behind the scenes, are inclined to keep that quiet and just extend these things and work with one another. Because if Microsoft defends the FTC and the FTC decides that this is a deal that wasn't allowed after the fact, the FTC can make things even more costly and problematic for Microsoft. And that's not a win for anybody. Hopefully that's a better understanding of what's happening here. Just most importantly, when you go and you look at an article and says, it must be October, it must be November. That is not in fact the case because all of these timers are subject to government and party negotiation. And if there is going to be a fight about this deal, it could go on a significant amount of time. I still expect the deal to close at the top of next year, sometime in quarter one, But who knows? We'll be following it closely here in Virtual Legality. If you enjoy this kind of content, please again do consider supporting us, whether you're a viewer or a listener at Utreon or Patreon. Special thanks again to Falcus Vipus for doing exactly that. If you're not interested in that, please just subscribe, tell your friends, upvotes, downvotes, engage with YouTube. It loves that engagement. I don't know why, but every little bit helps. If you did watch this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel. 